Welcome to the One Up Project. Money is fuel that, that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself and if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. Today I am here with Sarah Nally, General Manager of Design Practice at ASB and co-founder of Chief of Wonder and Wonder and founder of Sienna Baby as well. A lot going on and so I want to talk to Sarah today about I guess just her career journey, tap into all of the learnings that she's had um, and encourage you guys to have more curiosity, um, spark ideas and inspiration around whatever it is you're doing. So thank you so much, Sarah, for being here. How are you? Oh, so good. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. I was saying just before, I'm so excited to get into this. And so the first thing I really want to chat about is, I guess, just generally, it seems like you've had such a full and exciting career journey and story to date. What was the first project you remember working on where you felt like it, it truly aligned with who you were and what you wanted to do? Oh, that's a good one. It's actually going way back beyond like my career. So I had really awesome opportunities at school yeah. to kind of get involved in projects that were a little bit creative or a little bit off the kind of normal path. So even as early as primary school, um, we used to do this thing called school parliament and yes. we'd put our hands up and be like a minister for something and I was the minister for health and I designed like this poster to go up in the bathrooms to teach people how to wash their hands properly. I mean, was I a futurist? I don't even know, but like they're everywhere now, right? Yeah, yeah. So we prototype from like, I don't know, <laughs> years ago. Um, it seemed to be something that was um, interesting and for me like that concept of like creating something yeah. that actually was like then seen by others and enjoyed or, or used by others that mm. that really got me on my kind of entrepreneurial journey so from there I like had a fruit stall out the front of our house and you know always wow. put my hand up at school to just be like oh what's what's sort of happening how can I get involved you know whether that was like community repping through Red Cross or thinking about kind of our social give back opportunities mm. um young entrepreneur type programs I think they were called like young achievers back then before entrepreneur was like a kind of widely circulated word yeah um, but yeah I've, I've sort of followed my creativity since I was very young which is actually quite cool yeah that's awesome that's a really cool um thing for a school to do to have like a mini parliament the, the little strengths and I guess interests that you would have lent into doing those sort of things were they strengths or interests that you were consciously aware of moving into things going forward. I love that. I, I actually feel like I only woke up as a 20-something-year-old and realised how much fun I'd already had in my life. Um, yeah. And I really did not have any idea how, how blessed I was, how privileged I was. You know, I had this really simple upbringing in Tasmania. We had fruit trees around our garden. My mum was a teacher. My dad was in HR. And they really cared about thinking about each of us as individuals and how they nurtured our talents and our creativity. Yeah. And each four of us are so different. And it was only when I got to like my sort of early 20s and I got into like real serious work that I realised mm. that my experience was really not normal and that actually most people hadn't had a parent that had encouraged them to follow 
their kind of natural talents or strengths and, and they hadn't necessarily been been guided in the way that I've been guided. So I was very, very lucky. Mm. Um, but I've sort of made it my mission to go, well, how can I help other people discover their strengths? Um, you know, luck of the draw is parenting, but then there are amazing resources that are available to us these days that help us sort of unlock our own strengths and our own kind of passions, I suppose, as we go. So a few happy accidents, but very lucky along the way to have parents that, you know, nudged me and inspired me to follow what I was good at, which is cool. Yeah, I can absolutely relate to that. I'm very lucky and privileged in that sense as well to have parents that always encourage me to, you know, the the classic line of we don't care what you do as long as it makes you happy kind of thing yeah. was always the phrase I got, which definitely is a blessing when it comes to now and being, I guess, a lot more open to trying different things and putting yourself out there, which can be quite a hard barrier for other people to cross as well. Totally. Yeah. And funny you say that, that was the line that was used for us too. And I think what it's given me is like this, this faith in giving things a go to your point. So actually going, Oh, I wonder what would happen if I did this, you know, and that has led me all sorts of really weird and wacky, wonderful places. (laughs) Just that wonder, Oh, I wonder what would happen if I do this. And, And sometimes that, you know, ends up being, I end up being a bit crap at some stuff mm. and that's okay too because mm. you've got to start somewhere. I love that sort of saying that says, you know, your first podcast will be crap, your first yeah. you know, Instagram post will be crap, but you've got to start somewhere. So just that kind of starting somewhere is the bit that I kind of obsess over, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And how did you bring that mentality into, I guess, your first like real jobs yeah. outside of say any kind of study or high school anything yeah. when it gets to you're developing your career as a as an adult how did you bring that into I guess that because it seems like a lot of people as they start their career that's when you're less wanting to take any risks and things like that because you want to make sure that you're making the right decision and that can be quite paralyzing for people yeah totally no having that kind of spirit of curiosity and play has always been really powerful for me but um I remember my first kind of real job and I sat there and I studied my job description like really clearly I even put it into excel so I could like have each of the things that I was kind of responsible (laughs) for and like what I was going to do to prove that I was doing that thing like and that that weird kind of analytical angle that I possess has been really helpful for me because it actually helped me realize really early that I was capable of kicking goals and then I had more capacity so it helped me kind of identify like oh I've done those things that they wanted me to do so I was able to kind of use my initiative and be like hey here's this stuff that you've asked me to do what else can I do and that what else can I do has actually unlocked all sorts of cool skills, capabilities and projects over the years. You know, uh, I remember starting in recruitment and being like, what else can I do? And they're like, oh, there's this stuff that needs kind of tidying up from a from a um, newsletter perspective or an online perspective. And so next minute I'm like editing web pages and like creating a podcast and creating a whole series mm-hmm. of content for our customers. And that wasn't stuff that was on my job description, but it yeah. was super interesting and has kind of then unpacked other things and it's like oh yeah I can give that a go like let me see if I can do that so yeah and sometimes I do feel like identifying those strengths like we've mentioned curiosity and um, having this continuous energy to learn it can feel really broad when you don't know what to do with that or how to apply it to your everyday like how have you continued to find projects or um, involve yourself in things that you can contribute fully yeah. um, to fully in that way I, I say chase the tingle like you will find a lot of things kind of interesting 
But, and, and you know, I, you get to a point in your career where people are like, oh, Sarah can do that. And, like, the reality is I can. I probably can. But do mm. I want to is now the question that I can ask mm. myself. And, and actually understanding my strengths is one thing, but then understanding my passions is another. Mm. So that's where you start to sort of flesh out, like, the different kind of layers. I've got this one page um, that I talk to in my development plan, you know, my wings on one side, I've kind of got this ASB work that I do. On the other side, I've got the other things I do. Yeah. Um, within the middle, I've got my values, my strengths, my wonder. Um, and then I've got my passions, the things that I just like can't help but get drawn towards. And, and for me, like helping kids find their strengths or doing yeah. something to do with design thinking, like there's just always this like magnetic pull towards those sorts of types of work. Um, I'm lucky in that I have continued to steer my wings, if you like, towards yeah. those things so that I can then get paid for them. So if you think of that ikigai, mm-hmm. you know, they say, what do you love? What are you going to, what, what will people pay you for? I actually think sitting down and, and making notes around that stuff is really powerful. Mm-hmm. So tools I love, um, there's the High Five Strengths Finder based on heaps of research. It's about a 20-minute kind of questionnaire. It helps you identify your top five strengths. Um, That's super useful. Overlaying that with then real, like, stuff that you've had feedback on. So, Mm. you know, someone said, oh, hey, Sarah, I loved when you did such and such. Like, just take Mm. a mental note of when people have said that they love that thing that you've done Mm. and that can help you kind of unlock stuff that you're good at. And then you can start to sort of go, well, of that stuff that I'm good at, which stuff did I also feel really inspired by? And, you know, to begin with, the stuff that you feel really inspired by might not be stuff you're good at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because you're yeah. starting out, you know, you're giving it a go and um, and that's okay. But you're sort of then able to know that, okay, maybe that's something I can't get paid for just yet, but that I can put some energy into because it gives me energy. And that's how I built out my kind of ecosystem or my portfolio career. I've got stuff that I do that gives me energy. And it doesn't necessarily make me heaps of money, but it gives me energy that allows me to then unlock more energy for other things that do get me money. So yeah. it's sort of this little ecosystem that I can kind of play with and, and get the most out of myself and my own capacity, um, but also make sure that I'm not doing stuff. Yeah, I call them like little sandbags. So things that weigh you down and like take you away from like giving you joy and lifting you higher. So yeah. what are the things that spark you that are like the gas in the hot air balloon? And then what are the sandbags and things that kind of weigh you down? And I suppose the goal is like, get rid of the sandbags and make sure you've then got the fuel. And when you were talking about you have this development plan, so you see like you've got the ASB stuff on one wing and it, um, whatever else on the other wing is that do you consciously I guess approach your development that way in terms of your learning like you're constantly looking at what you've got going on and what you want to do next yeah so I'm a little bit geeky I I do and my partner and I do this as well so we basically do like sprint planning we plan out our year we think about like what we want to get out of each year what we're going to kind of focus on and of course there are check-in points along the way to see what we need to let go of what we need to kind of like zone in on but I think having a plan allows you to be really purposeful about what you say yes to but also what you need to say no to because there are lots of shiny balls (laughs) there are lots of cool things that pop up and you can kind of quickly check in with yourself and be like okay oh it's interesting but kind of doesn't fit in either of my wings it doesn't necessarily 100% align to my values so it's not an f yes (laughs) you know that's when you kind of go okay I, I don't I don't necessarily have energy for that right now um, but other times something new will come in and you look at it and for whatever reason, it just brings everything up, like it elevates everything. So for me, 
recently I've launched um, a community called She Evolves. It's um, a beautiful women's community and it's about like creating this safe space for women to explore their next evolution and we're doing a beautiful mm-hmm. like resort uh, Fiji type retreat um, later in the year. When I kind of looked at things, I didn't necessarily have, you know, time or space for new things, you know, five kids, full-time job, a few side hustles. But mm-hmm. when I looked at the alignment from a values perspective, the opportunity to serve community and a space to kind of play and create, it did actually line up and give me energy. And so it's been something that I've been able to just find energy for, but it's created compounding energy. So it's actually given me like this amazing kind of excitement and joy to bring into the other things that I do. Yeah, it's so important to find those things. Like I, I think with for me having, um, so at the moment I do the podcast as my like passion project on the side yes. and then I have my full-time job and yeah. people often say, you know, how do you manage both? And for me, it's so important that the podcast continues to give me that energy because it actually fuels me doing it when I'm doing the podcast I feel energetic I feel like I want to keep going I tell myself to stop I don't feel like I have to do it kind of thing and it has to continue to be that and so I design how I run the podcast the things I do around making sure that it's giving me energy all the time and having that means that I can be so much more I guess present and conscious in all the other areas of my life and and start to learn and develop that curiosity a lot more, which I think is, has been a real um, game changer for me, I suppose, and, and being able to see not only my career but just life in a different light and knowing that I don't have to approach it with the idea that, okay, work's always going to be shit. What's going to be great outside of that that yeah. I can do? Like just taking yeah. a different approach. Oh, you've nailed it there. Like mindset around this stuff is super powerful, right? Just and mm. creating space. I'm, I am into the concept of like time abundance. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time people sort of think, oh, I don't have time or I run out of time or how do you find the time? Like for me, that's coming from a time deficit sort of place. Like I, I often like to think like, how can we find time? How do we create time? How do we, you know, create more kind of energy around things? One way I've unlocked time is through energy and to your point you're more Mm. present, you're more capable of like being able to enjoy things. And if almost like the things you don't enjoy drain your battery, maybe the things you do enjoy recharge you. And Mm. so you kind of like navigate through your kind of like time little uh, battery thing by thinking about things that give you joy versus things that are like, okay, I need to get this done. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think for me so far, that's come from a process of, trial and error because often you know people say how well how do you find this thing that gives you energy or that you care about or or whatever and there's always so much chat around what passion and what purpose is but for me it was it was just trialing so many different things and trying to learn as much as I could about whatever just so I could learn what I did like and what I didn't like and find I guess it didn't have to be that exact thing that I liked but there might have been things within that elements that I did which you can see as patterns and other parts of your life was that the same for you in the sense that it was a trial and error type process totally and like my mum says she wasted so much money on me trying all the things when I was at school because I'd be like I signed up for chess now I signed up for violin now I'm trying to sign up for dance I'm doing drama and she's like more than a term of these things Um, you know the reality was I didn't want to do a whole term or more than a term of these things I love dabbling and playing and trying things out and funny because people are like, oh, then you'll be like a jack of all, master of none. But the reality is I've become like a master of curiosity. 
So yeah. it's like it's like, oh, that was that was a backfire, but a good one because <laughs> that insatiable sense of like, I love learning new things and I love giving something a go. And when I find something that I don't know anything about, instead of being afraid, I'm like, oh my god, yay! Something I don't know anything about. How cool! But then even when I find I think I know some, a lot about something, I'm like, well, hang on a second, how do I sink back into that and get more curious about what I don't know? Because yeah. That then helps me discover new pockets. Um, design thinking has been a beautiful example of that. You know, I just keep diving back into the well of design thinking and finding new things to understand and learn and unpack. And when we were writing the, um, I was the lead academic writing at MBA in design thinking for RMIT, and there was all this unconscious competence that I wasn't aware of, but there was also areas that I knew nothing about. And I was yeah. just so excited about that. It was like, okay, how do I keep like colouring in almost on like one of those mindful coloring books with new colors and exploring new things and finding new areas that I haven't kind of colored yet. I I can relate to that so much because I'm very similar in primary school and this has always just been a running joke but it makes actually so much sense now. I won um, an award at my school prize giving called the Give It A Go Award which is literally just like a glorified participation award because I was just trying all these different things you know just signing up for as much as I could and I don't know where it really came from. I think it was just I've always had the desire to want to figure out what it is I like because I don't know I really struggled to to connect with things straight away and so I was like well I may as well just trial everything but yeah it's it's, you're so right I think the process of going in and just learning little bits about everything it can actually give you so much value back Um, and then with the design thinking side of things it's so interesting as well because I feel like there's so many places you can take that could you describe to people who might not have ever heard the term design thinking before like what that means yeah and it's, oh, it's so hard to sort of start now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I, I sort of like to go back to its its history, um, which, you know, originally um, when people were building things, they would look at creating a solution, designing a solution, and then obviously going live with the solution, getting it on sale. Whether that was a technology, um, you know, solution or a product or, or even a service. Um, design thinking basically looked at, well, what happens if we ask people what they want at every step of the way and get real-time feedback as we go so that Mm. we're not just designing what we think customers want. We're actually thinking about what the customer needs Mm. and thinking to understand their needs. And then as we go, we've got an opportunity to like iterate and play and really think about like what the best solution is. So I kind of like coming back to this like best solution. Design thinking helps you unpack not just the logical solution but the best solution. And sometimes that best solution requires you to really step outside of your own comfort zone. When I put a problem in front of someone, usually they'll be able to give you an answer. Like humans are really good at going, okay, problem, solution, problem, solution. What design thinking does is gives you a frame to help you really unpack your bias, um, how you're approaching this, the lenses that you have, step into the shoes of your customer and really start to think about things from their sense and their point mm. of view so that you can design something more useful. And uh, we talked briefly in, in before about inclusion and accessibility. For me, I love, um, you know, those moments as a designer that you have when you step outside of your shoes into someone else's shoes and you realise, like, you were being so myopic in what you were designing. You were designing it with your blinkers on, yeah. your perception of the user's needs rather than the actual user's needs. And there's some beautiful mm-hmm. examples whereby... Um, 
you know, uh, in a city, they the council decided to change the um, footpaths and they introduced these new ramps so that they could be more accessible for people in wheelchairs. And accidentally, they solved the problem for mothers with prams also. Mm, yeah. you know, when we actually are more kind of user-centred, human-centred, and you would have heard design thinking sometimes referred to as human-centred design, when we're more human-centred and we're more cognizant of the user's needs, we unpack and we create things that are way more useful, um, mm. not just to the kind of surface layer that we initially thought. Yeah, um, exactly. The other application of design thinking is for innovation. So to really think differently about the problems that we're seeking to solve. So yes, it's really great for being human-centered and creating things that work for customers. It's also really good to help you tease out different ideas that potentially you weren't thinking about before. So often you'll see design thinking sort of pictures, if you like, with like post-it notes all over the wall. Um, and that's essentially where we go divergent. We get people to really think outside. You know, I like to get people to step into the wonder zone where they start to think really differently about the solution and, you know, what would happen if there was no gravity and what would happen if you had a magic wand and what would happen if you mm. just you know, tipped it on its head and looked at it from a different angle and you really try and stretch yourself out of the box to think about this from a different angle so you don't just come up with that linear, logical, you know, front front and centre kind of um, solution. You come out, up with something that is more innovative, more inclusive, and obviously that best solution that you're sort of aiming to sort of design for. Yeah. The other aspect is, so we talk about divergent, we talk about helping people make better choices. So expanding your thoughts, thinking about things differently. You've got this like openness around like opening up, but then you've got to come back in. So we talk about like helping people make more choices so that they can make better choices. And the mm. convergent nature of the double diamond process, for example, in design thinking is about starting to zone in on that best, best. What's the best of this? So what's the most mm. feasible, viable, desirable solution? What's the best solution for the customers that we've interviewed and, and how do we kind of rank and prioritise our ideas so that we surface up the actual best thing, not mm. just not just the thing that made sense when we first started. Yeah. And I love that. And I love the application not just for like technology but also for life, you know, yeah. when I find myself in a situation that feels tricky, I challenge myself to step outside of it, to empathise with those that are involved, to really think about the problem space from their perspective and then start to sort of ideate around how you could kind of shift before I kind of get to a point of view statement. And that's really, really helped me navigate some significantly tricky stuff in my life. <laughs> mm. I love, I just love that so much. That space is exactly the, the type of space I want to be in when it comes to my I guess career but in applying it to life as well I just see so many different applications as you mentioned and I think it's actually like the perfect space for what seems like someone like you or I who actually has that curiosity because in design thinking because you're empathizing with the perspectives of others so much it's an endless pool of things you're looking at because even if you think you can group and segment people you still can't even then, because everyone's worldview, everyone's perspective is going to be completely different and they're going to, yeah, just have a different thing to oh, say or a different way that nuance, they feel. That nuance becomes like, you say that endless source of curiosity because you're like, yeah. okay, like I think I kind of know roughly where you're at. Like even when you're talking, I'm like, I think I roughly think you've probably got filler math in your top five strengths. But like yeah. <laughs> I really know that for sure and, and you start sort of like getting curious about a wonder yeah. that and, you know, getting more and more interested in in the possibilities and yeah. you know, I had a lovely compliment from a lady I work with today she said you know when I speak to you I feel like nothing is impossible 
And I was mm. like, oh, thank you, because that's absolutely the space I try and hold and, and live in because I do feel like anything's possible. Like when you keep questioning and you keep peeling back the layers, mm. the meaning, the bias, the things that you've kind of like thought to be true that maybe aren't even true, you start to get to this like infinite space of endless possibilities, which is mm. a really cool place to hang out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I love that so much. That inspires me, like that kind of thinking. Um, and I think it's so exciting that it's commonplace in so many businesses now to make sure they, they have that because often, you know, there isn't that, well, there hasn't been that diversity of thought. So to bring that in is, is so incredible. From, I guess, having a pretty good understanding of your strengths and, and interests that you naturally lean to, have there been any challenges that you've faced directly as a result of, of that? And how have you navigated through those? So, so many. Um, I don't think anyone has a, a journey without challenge. I think um, early days, my enthusiasm was both my strength and my kind of Achilles yeah. heel. I, yeah, I'd say all the way along, my strengths have also been my Achilles. Like it's, it's sort yeah. of this weird place that you kind of play. Um, but I think as I've gotten older, what I'm more comfortable with is knowing that they are both and that that's okay. So actually if I'm over-enthusiastic and that's freaking people out because I'm trying mm. to move too fast, um, I can now kind of check in and be like, okay, well, how fast do people want to go on this? And, mm. and sort of pull back a little bit and, and park my enthusiasm a little to make sure I'm taking people on the journey. So you sort of pick up skills along the way that help you just um, dial your strengths. Yeah. So yeah. rather than eliminate them, rather than like, you know, I definitely don't want to like, um, buff them or like shave them down yeah. like when I go into like 10 on things that can be like next level superpower so I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to ever stop myself going into a 10 but I want to learn how to like move it to a zero if I have to yeah and so each of the challenges that I've engaged with in my career have taught me okay what would happen if I dial this up or dial that down dial this up and dial yeah. that down. and early days I do remember wanting to eliminate things mm. and actually that just spun me into a place of yuck like mm. that took me to a place where I felt depressed, you know, I was like, you know, that I think we've all been there, like, especially yeah. young people today, I feel like they, they experience it more than ever. Um, because I do think young people of today are almost on like an enhanced operating system. So they like feel mm. things more deeply, they experience things even more intensely than what potentially my generation did, um, mm. which I find really exciting and curious. Um, but I, I do know my lesson was don't eliminate it. Like mm. don't, don't think just because someone else is like uncomfortable by your strength that you need to be less strong. Mm. Uh, actually keep your strength, just figure out when to use it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a it. really, yeah. It's really interesting because with the enthusiasm one, I can absolutely relate to that as well. For me, I feel like I was always told, you know, you're getting too emotionally involved yeah. in things that don't concern you or you're getting too yeah enthusiastic about things I've had that comment multiple times yeah. and it kind of got labeled as aggressive instead yeah. of enthusiastic and, or like yeah yeah totally yeah and so that I was the same where I felt like okay well I need to just cut that completely because it's obviously intimidating people in some way and and it's not making them feel comfortable so that's on me to change that how would you like 
what would you say to someone who feels like that when it comes to their strengths and they're kind of in that space where they feel like they need to cut it out and they haven't worked out that dial type system yet? I've, I've actually got a cool exercise that I do with myself when I start to feel uncomfortable when I've gone somewhere and I feel like it's too big or too much mm. and I sit with it. Um, a friend of mine actually, she wrote a book called Choose Wonder Over Worry. Her name's Amber Ray, and she talks about having yeah. a pink noir with your big feelings. And it is, it's like sitting down and being like, okay, so like today you felt too much or you felt like too enthusiastic or too energetic or you felt like mm-hmm. you talked too much or whatever the thing was that you kind of felt. And I ask myself this question, help me understand where you were coming from when you were in that space. And like I journal quite a lot. It's one of my like most powerful kind of tools for introspection and for unpacking. And so like even just that helped me understand what I was feeling like helps me connect with myself first because yeah. otherwise what am I doing? Like I'm worrying about what everyone else thinks. Mm. That's dumb, right? <laughs> and I know this from experience because I used to be like, oh, my God, I made all these other people feel uncomfortable. And mm. it's like, you know who's feeling the most uncomfortable right now? Me. I'm feeling the most uncomfortable right now because I'm worrying about the impact that I've had on others. So taking it back to self and being like, okay, well, what was I feeling in that moment has helped me really own it and like mm. instead of trying to eliminate it making friends with it has actually allowed me to then be able to have that like dial and I don't always have it sometimes I still get like super excited or, yeah. like, or intense or like you know I want to push ahead with something when I realize actually you know even from a design thinking perspective I'm like oh wait we've got to do some more ideation first you know but you become a little bit more compassionate with yourself as you catch yourself in those moments and it doesn't become that like tear down like oh my god I need to go and just like wrap myself in a doona for three days and like think about how shit I am as a human instead Mm. it's like oh whoopsies like I call myself I'm compassionate give myself like an internal kind of hug and be like we went there it's okay you know um that's really helped with my self-love too which I think is a super important journey um and I think you know I see young people struggling on that journey right now Mm. my message to you is like make that your priority Mm. because a human who loves themselves they swim differently through the human experience right Mm. they're able to take feedback in a different way they're able to be more compassionate when they're still learning to master their dials you know and and actually able to kind of dial up in a way where they they can shine bright because they are okay with whatever is going to happen around them as they shine their light mm. as bright as they kind of want to go. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like you naturally have a lot of empathy for other people and how they felt, but it's just as important to have that empathy for yourself. And so okay. many of us don't have that. Like we're more than willing to think about what's this person going to think as a result of what I'm doing, but we don't even think, why do I feel that way about this situation? Yeah. And how can I accept the way that I feel now and either change that or keep it the same in future for whatever reason you need to and like you said building that compassion for your own thought process is so important to be able to appreciate that and use it going forward and interesting all the study I've kind of done and I'm studying some neuropsychology but I've also kind of gone and looked in spirituality and a number of different things one of the most powerful tools for change is awareness mm. and, and literally just bringing attention gentle attention I should say like not like judgment because judgment sucks but like gentle attention to something can help you shift it Mm. and I remember asking myself more recently because you know people talk about limiting self-beliefs and how they like really anchor you and hold you back I asked myself like on the deepest level what's 
the biggest limiting self-belief that's holding me back and it was that there are limiting self-beliefs yeah. <laughs> I was like all right I'll release that then yeah and that was actually really empowering because I was like yeah I don't need that limitation I can just actually be like okay with where things are at yeah it has its place yeah yeah and once you have that breakthrough, it's like, wow, I can't believe I've been kind of neglecting myself from this extra love and compassion for so long and yeah. I'm never going to do that again. It's like turning a heater on in a cold house. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that feels better. Why didn't I just do that? And like you said before, I guess it ends up being like a superpower. Um, and something I spoke to you on about on the phone uh, before we had this podcast episode was um, your interest in childlike awe, which I resonate with again so much. I just think that it's so important to bring that curiosity and childlike awe into everything you do. Where does your own store of childlike awe come from oh so this is interesting because for me for a really long time it was quite natural yeah as I get older I actually find I have to be way more purposeful with it it's really easy to kind of slip into like adulting yeah (laughs) it sucks so um it helps that we have five kids um (laughs) they are both like the anchor to childlike awe but sometimes you do find when you're adulting you're not even able to kind of connect with their childlike awe and so the strategies that I've kind of put in place involve um, thinking about how I can leave work behind and like yeah. reconnect. So like last night, leaving work behind looked like listening to a two minute positivity meditation before I entered like the um, house and then being really present with the kids, cutting out love hearts and sewing them. Um, and that was like an activity that helped shift our state so I have found making is probably my biggest way to stay connected to childlike or um, over the last sort of few years, especially as I get closer, like I'm 40 this year. So like yeah. old, <laughs> age is but a number. Um, it's been really curious for me to be aware of the fact that like my childlike or um, doesn't flow as naturally for me as it used to. And I have to right. work harder to connect with it and as I said making has been a really beautiful way for me to stay connected to that Mm. Mm. yeah that's really interesting and good to recognize I suppose when it's dropping off did you feel like you noticed that I guess consciously throughout your life that you noticed it was dropping off and you needed to change it or did something happen where you were like oh I really need to get back to that it was only recently when um I was starting to write something about childlike awe and I sort of realized that it it wasn't flowing as much for me. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like I've always just taken that for granted that it's there. And so I started to kind of get curious about it. And I did some research looking at the shifts that happen as your body changes. And there's all these kind of really interesting things, particularly for women, right? We kind of go, I think there's like perimenopause before menopause. I don't even know when that all starts to happen, but like probably over the next like 20 years, my body will start to change your body's changing like our bodies are constantly evolving and shifting and moving and our hormones are too and our hormones impact our brain chemicals and our brain Mm -hmm. chemicals obviously house you know the the ability to experience some of this childlike awe and wonder and so I'm I'm super curious about that at the moment it's something that I'm researching and really interested in because I do think that there's a bit of a shift in my hormones and that that's shifting my kind of interests as well and like yeah. the things that I'm kind of interested in 
I have um, discovered like in Indian culture, there's these different kind of phases that they sort of say women go through. And as they get to 60, um, at 60, they then become like the wisdom keepers right. who are responsible for like bringing women together and making sure that they kind of shape shift and share their energies. And I'm curious about what, what those kind of roles are, which is part of the reason why I'm, I'm so excited about She Evolves at the moment. You know, that yeah. exists as much for me to explore my own evolution as it does for others. Yeah. And funny enough, now that I'm making and I'm involved in that, like the childlike aura is like totally flowing and, you know, I'm playing with like um, video and thinking about like the experience and how we make that really interesting and engaging. And so, yeah, having those projects probably is like a, a nice way to architect or if, for example, it doesn't flow so easily. So grateful for this experience because in the past I was probably unconscious of how easily it flowed for me and right. now I've become more conscious with it, which is allowing me to architect it. I don't know where, like, I guess my interest in having childlike awe came from. It was almost just something I always felt like having or looking at kids who are often just so amazed by every little thing. It's so, yeah, it's so inspiring in itself really because it's so good. Yeah, you're just like almost inspired by their curiosity. In comparison, makes you feel like you've lost that thirst for life if you don't also have that kind of desire to find yeah. wonder in everything you look at or everything you do. Um, and so I think coming back to that is so important and just as we're kind of saying to reconnect with yourself and figure out what it is you do actually enjoy as well. Totally. Wait, actually the other thing that's working for me at the moment is my garden. So oh, yeah. I have to tend to it. I'm always really excited when I see something new, you know, sprouting, grew my first watermelon. That absolutely has brought like this new level of childlike or not just to me, but to the kids too. So it's been a really lovely shared experience. And I'm now understanding why as people get older, they have gardens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like maybe that's a way of like tending to and like thinking about how you kind of nurture your childlike aura. I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we've spoken a little bit about your personal development in, in general. Are there other things that you do to regularly keep this active or do you have any kind of direction with it or how do you approach yeah, it? Yeah, so part of it, as I said, was that plan, like where I'm, I may say, right, this year I'm doing one kind of learning adventure. Um, but then there's stuff that kind of comes up, you know, yeah. I've got an opportunity to go to San Francisco and connect with some cool thought leaders. So mentors and connecting with thought leaders is a really important pillar for me because yeah. I get so much out of human connection as I can see you do too. Mm. And, you know, listening to people and learning from them just inspires me no end. Um, I'm always like picking up like audio books. Um, I follow really curious kind of totally off off the wall type Instagram, Facebook accounts so that I can stay connected to stuff that's way outside of my kind of norm. Yeah. And that that helps keep me kind of inspired and, and thinking differently. And then staying connected to this kids' um, homework yeah. is really interesting. <laughs> like they, they're learning cool stuff at school that like, you know, piques your curiosity and gets you sort of thinking differently. Um, we try and hold like we we call them like evolved conversations, but with each other and our friends, where we just like seek to kind of go a little bit deeper, mm. and so like asking each other questions around you know hopes and aspirations and feelings and things that you're passionate about. Like they're not they're not typical kind of friend conversations, but for us that's been a beautiful source of like both connection and wisdom, and it's just really strengthened our bonds with our with our friendship group as well. So. Yeah, definitely. That seems so rare. How do you manage to find or keep a group of people around you that are, I guess, interested in doing that as well? 
I mean, it starts small. It starts with a question, right? It starts with mm-hmm. a, you know, a couple of different questions. We went and studied appreciative inquiry in the US and that whole concept of like asking questions and curating conversations was really fascinating to us. And it's actually made us realize that I think some people get so lost in like trying to find a best friend that they forget that you you can actually have friendship like yeah. where you are and it doesn't have to look a certain way. It doesn't have to be a certain way. Actually the investment that you make from a curiosity perspective will actually allow you to unpack different layers with a human and mm. we've done that. So they're people in our lives and we've just committed to asking them questions and trying to go a bit deeper and challenging each other and it's nice. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like through learning that your ways or your style of communicating is, is different? Definitely. Like, like I said, I sort of feel like now, even at dinner parties, like we, we don't go the smoke, small talk. I mean, it can start with like something as simple as like, if you were, if you were celebrating 12 months from now, what are you popping a bottle of champagne over? And like, that gives you a real insight into like what people's goals and aspirations are. Right. Or, you know, what's, um, I love, I always love asking people, like, if you were a herb, what kind of herb would you be? Like, they can be like weird kind of icebreakery type questions, all those this and that's like coffee or tea, dog or cat. Start with that kind of like, I'm just interested and curious in like your likes and dislikes and where you're at, but then going a little bit deeper and, and like my friends know, I'm kind of known for like, how would you design your funeral? Like, what would you want people to wear and how would you celebrate? And, you know, I like going to quirky, weird places because that takes you new places in yeah. a conversation and in a friendship yeah and, definitely uh, I recently my my grandmother passed away in January and I was really lucky to be able to spend some time with her in Australia before she died and I was also really lucky to be able to ask her a whole stack of questions about how she wanted to die and mm. she was like I don't want a funeral I don't want this I don't want this and she had this whole conversation and my mum goes I didn't know any of that <laughs> like yeah you know, the power of like asking questions and being curious and then holding space is kind of the final part of that. Like you ask questions, you be curious, but then you hold the space so that you can actually understand things in a slightly different or new or um, interesting way. Like you said, it allows you to get to know someone a lot differently as in the different layers of that person, because you can sort of have an overall view of, of who someone is, but the different layers on which they think and, and where that comes from is always so different. Oh, I just love like often you think you know them, they think they know them, but there's always layers for us to both explore. Yeah. Like, that exploration, we would say like discover yourself evolve together. Like by asking yourself questions and then asking the same questions of your friends, you both learn something new. Mm. You know? um, same with your partner. Like we've got all these conversation decks at home. Yeah. If you literally just go to Amazon and like type in conversation decks, um, they are fantastic because they just stop you from jumping into like that beta state where like everything just gets stale and you stop asking questions and you stop learning. Yeah. You know, we ask each other the weirdest questions. Like sometimes we like read them and go, are we really asking this? Yeah, we're going to. Yeah. <laughs> we're going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Oh, well, thank you so much, Sarah, for your time today. Like, love this conversation so much. I feel like I just completely connect with so much of what you say, and I really appreciate you sharing. I can't wait to hear your strengths. I want you to, like, send them to me as well. I I absolutely will. I absolutely will. (laughs) Thank you so much. And thank you, and sorry for the little noises in the background. Oh, no, you're fine. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there.